Hi, I'm Matt Ward, and welcome to episode 12 of the Running Industry Podcast. I, I guess for uh, the editor of uh, an athletics magazine, survival. It doesn't sound very uh, very ambitious, but yeah, I mean, I'm quite proud of the fact that, that Athletics Weekly or AW Magazine is celebrating its diamond anniversary and has been going for 75 years, and, and I'm absolutely convinced that we can carry on for another 10, 20 years or more. In today's podcast, we'll be talking to Jason Henderson, the editor of one of the most long-standing sports magazines in the UK, Athletics Weekly. Jason began writing for AW in 1995 and became editor in 2001. During that time, he's covered five Olympics for the magazine and interviewed everyone from Roger Bannister to Usain Bolt. But for a print magazine, fighting a good fight in a digital world, little could have prepared them for the curveball that was 2020. Spoken to um, one of my predecessors as, as editor of the magazine, and you know he's mentioned you know strikes at the printers, technical problems, staff illnesses, you know all kinds of things that that might scupper the production of a magazine. But but we we think this is the the only time that the magazine's actually you know failed to go to press and actually you know stopped publication. And uh, I think for a while we we actually thought that would be it. Apart from talking about the Bible of the sport with Jason, we delve into his thoughts on the future of the sport of athletics and talk about how a fast pair of shoes and no guarantee for a PB down at your local park run. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Run Industry and check us out on the website at www.runningindustrypodcast.com. For now, though, on with the show and this week's guest... Jason Henderson. So, big thanks for joining me on the Running Industry Podcast today. Jason Henderson, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I suppose we should start with asking you how it's been in this uh, most trying of years. Well, it's it's been a, a strange year. I think you mentioned in your in your intro there for me, saying that I've covered five Olympics. It, it would have been six Olympics. Mm. If the Tokyo Games had taken place, so that was that was obviously one of the main things that that uh, bit in the dust due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I mean, if I cast, cast my mind back to March, um, the last event I covered for Athletics Weekly magazine was the English Schools Cross Country Championships in Sefton Park in Liverpool, and at the time, people knew that that uh, the virus was out there; it was spreading. Um, we hadn't had any lockdowns yet. People were beginning to get nervous. Uh, there was some talk about whether the event would go ahead. It did go ahead. Um, there were still a few handshakes going on. Remarkably, people were people were trying to avoid doing it, but, the, but a lot of people were kind of just doing it anyway because there wasn't there wasn't much of a fear factor yet. And the event went ahead. It was it was quite a success. Uh, and I remember get, getting the train back home afterwards and sitting with my laptop on my knee, starting to write up the reports about all the kids that had done well in the event. And the train was really busy and I was quite nervous because it was a packed train. And and, uh, and then just a few days later, you know, we the country started going into lockdown and the athletics 
fixtures calendar pretty much shut down from then onwards. And and my my magazine as well went into suspended animation. We we had our our uh, publishing kind of frozen. So having published weekly magazines for about seventy years. It, it just got shut down, you know, literally overnight. Yeah, that, that was incredible. Had there ever been any stops to the publication throughout those seventy years, or was this was this the first one? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the first one. I've, I've spoken to um, one of my predecessors as, as editor of the magazine, and you know, he's mentioned uh, you know strikes at the printers, technical problems, staff illnesses, you know, all kinds of things that that might scupper the production of a magazine, but but we we think this is the the only time that the magazines actually you know failed to go to press and actually you know stopped publication and uh, I think for a while we we actually thought that would be it really you know the magazine would just be killed off and uh, you know a lot of people have said over the years that that a magazine sitting on the newsstands would struggle you know in the internet era with lots of competition from websites etc and and you know all the problems that we've had over the years with you know things like national strikes and and power cuts and and all kinds of things that that might hinder the printing of a magazine, but in the end, it it turned out to be a virus that, that very nearly killed off the magazine. We changed owners in the summer as a magazine. We're under new ownership now, and we've we've relaunched as a monthly magazine as opposed to weekly, uh, with a lot more on our on our website. So we're uh, we're kind of back in business, and we're just hoping that the athletics and running events start to happen with a bit more frequency now. With you having been the editor for you know, nigh on 20 years. Use the words there as well, my magazine, you know, I mean, you know, people associate you and these days with the magazine. How did you fathom that out in your own mind as well, Jason, as to I might not be doing this in the future? Yeah, it was, it was very strange. I mean, I, I, um, I kind of live and breathe athletics. I mean, the, the job's, the job's quite consuming. It's, uh, it's a bit of a 24 seven operation. I mean, we, we've always had a, a weekly print deadline for years, but We've had we've had a website and social media for quite a few years now as well, and whenever any athletics news breaks, you know we we like to get it on our social media, and and if if it warrants a story on our website, um, and sometimes these stories break at eleven o'clock at night, or or uh, you know you you wake up to news at, at breakfast when you you know when you look at your phone first thing in the morning, and you have to literally jump out of bed and start writing a story about about some big story about some big. Uh, Big news that's broken in the world world of athletics. Um, so to suddenly go overnight from from doing that to not doing it at all was uh, was rather rather weird. Of course, as you mentioned there, you were due to be covering your sixth Olympics in 2020. The cancellation of Tokyo came then. How did you adjust to that? And also, pretty major sporting event across the whole globe was not going to happen. I talk a moment ago about about it being difficult for me, and obviously it was disappointing to to not go to the Olympics, but you know of far more importance are all the athletes who are out there. I mean athletes are trained for their for their lives to go to the Olympic Games. I mean it was a massive deal for them. Um, you know some some track and field fans had had already bought hotels and flights and stuff to go out there. I mean this this I mean it was it was disappointing for me, but you know I was hardly alone. I mean the, the pandemic just hit everybody in a in a huge way and uh, the cancellation of the Tokyo Olympics was was just one of the one of the big things that happened you know people's people's businesses were going down they were losing their jobs um with regards to the athletics as i say you, you had athletes who 
who were really devoting their lives to to trying to compete well in in the Olympics, and and then it was just suddenly taken away from them. Basically, you know, the lifeblood, should we call it, of Athletics Weekly, um, which is events, results, races, didn't really happen either in 2020. So you must have had to make some difficult decisions in terms of how you pivot or what you kind of, you know, the content for the magazine. By going monthly, I suppose, that's also built up the content, hasn't it, in a way, in the fact that you've got, you know, you've got more to talk about when you actually, when the mag comes out as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think um, I think being a weekly magazine was was in recent years becoming very difficult. A monthly magazine is uh, just just gives us a bit more more time to breathe every issue, and and the the monthly magazine, as you can imagine, as well, is just a bit chunkier and glossier, and and is full of more features than the weekly magazine was. Lots of the weekly content that we used to produce for the weekly print magazine has just basically moved online, so that's just on all on our website now. But it, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's, it's changed and we've adapted, but then I think a lot of people have had to during this year. Now, I have to say, when I've been researching you and, of course, Athletics Weekly, Jason, it's been a bit of a joy for me as I spent a bit of my misspent teenage years studying every page of Athletics Weekly, reading articles on some of my athletic heroes, and it brought back some great memories, I have to be honest. You know, it's been the backbone of the sport, really, in, in the UK in terms of news results and views for almost, almost eight decades now. Do you feel a sense of expectation? As you go to editing it, in that, you know, there's all those people from teenagers, right, through to people in their 80s, 90s, who are flicking through it every month that they've been looking forward to hitting the mat, as it were, or the newsstands. One of the things about the magazine is it has got a lot of history. Uh, the first issue was December 1945. And I, I recently interviewed uh, an athlete called Eric Shirley, who appeared in the magazine in February 1946. Wow. He won the Middlesex Youth Cross Country title. And even more amazingly, he still competes today. He does master's competitions. He's 91 years old. And he was in our magazine. He was pictured in our magazine last year um, doing an event called the Olympians Mile, uh, which is part of the Westminster Mile event in London, uh, because he's also an Olympian. He competed in two Olympics wow. uh, as a steeplechaser. His name has, has appeared in the magazine for, um, you know, for almost the entire 75 year history of the magazine. It started as a monthly magazine, then it went weekly. So the, the title Athletics Weekly lent its name to the nickname AW, which is why it's, uh, it's known as a, it's known throughout the sport as, as AW. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, people just describe it as the Bible of the sport largely throughout much of its history. The only magazine that's covered the sport of track and field athletics as we as we know it from the Olympics is, there's always been quite a few running magazines, but an actual athletics magazine which covers running plus, you know, hurdles and jumps and throws and race walking and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, AW as it's known has kind of stood the test of time and uh, been around for seventy five years now. So this so this year's our diamond anniversary. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we, we nearly didn't celebrate it because of the pandemic, but luckily we've uh, we, we've battled through and, and we're still going. Yeah, it's incredible. And talking about battling, the print magazine industry, it has, you know, it's, I think it's fair to say it's been in a bit of turmoil in the last few years, just across the whole board. Have you felt that at AW? And what are your thoughts on what a print magazine has to do to survive in the 2020s? It has been difficult. Um, I think newspapers have been hit more uh, during the internet era, uh, we've seen newspapers struggle in particular. 
Um, I think magazines haven't struggled quite as much, but they've, they've still been hit. Um, the problem is that people want to just read things on the internet for free these days. You know, pe- people want to just read stuff and they don't, they've got in the habit now of not really wanting to pay for it. Uh, luckily, there's still enough people out there who, who still value, you know, buying a magazine and wanting to, wanting to pay for it and, and, uh, having a print magazine on their lap to kind of flick through. So, we still get sales from from the magazine, but we also do a lot online now as well. Um, people often say to me, "How do you how do you survive against all these other other websites, etc?" But of course, we we have our own website, we have our own social media. We've we've been doing this for quite a while now, and we've I think one of the secrets of our longevity is that we've we've kind of embraced the digital world, and we have done for quite a few years. We we started our our first digital magazine issues back in 2007 which is quite a while ago now and uh you know since then it's it's just kind of kind of grown really and during my week's work i probably only spend a maybe a relatively small percentage of time working on the print magazine these days a lot of it's spent working just on our website and social media magazines and newspapers that want to survive you know are, are kind of adapting similarly and, and embracing the the digital world as as well. So have you found that the subscriber model, as it were, Jason, you know, the, the fact that somebody can subscribe to the magazine, they also get access to your, I think I saw online, is it, a, is it the clubhouse? Yeah. Sell it a little bit for us. Do what somebody gets from uh, AW these days. I mean, when I started at AW in the, uh, in the sort of mid to late 1990s, there was just a weekly print magazine. People would buy that. That was it, really. There was no internet to speak of back in those days. You know, when it came to advertisers, advertisers would take a, a kind of traditional advert in the magazine, whether that was a page or a half page or two pages or whatever. And that's, that's, that was the model back then. Um, I guess now we have a, a monthly magazine, which is, which is a lot bigger and chunkier, uh, which, is, which is possibly more attractive to advertisers as well. Um, it's possibly not quite as intimidating to advertisers either as the as the weekly issue that we used to bring out about fifty times a year. You know, it's just twelve issues a year now, so advertisers can get their heads around it, and also also readers. You know, readers have a sort of more manageable twelve issues a year to to uh, buy rather than rather than fifty or fifty odd issues a year. Um, and then, as well as the monthly magazine, we have a website which has lots of free content on it but we also have a member only or a subscriber only clubhouse as we as we call it so if you subscribe to aw you get you get the monthly magazine and you also get access to the clubhouse and in the clubhouse the there are extra stories we have our our own podcast which is which is in its relative infancy these days we're just starting to to uh get into get into the uh into the job of producing a podcast, but that, we've got quite a few of them sitting there already in the clubhouse, and, uh, and also lots of results as well. We have our our results editor, who's a, a super experienced runner called Steve Smythe, who who's basically sitting there all week, uh, reformatting results and typing in results and basically filling uh, filling that part of our of our website in in the clubhouse with uh, with results and reports and photos. Basically, a lot of the stuff that used to be used to be in the weekly magazine is now in the clubhouse section of our website for the subscribers. So it's it's similar content, but readers are just just accessing it in a in a different way. 
And you were talking there, Jason, as well about the industry, the running industry in terms of, you know, advertisers and brands and whichever brand or whichever organization that might be. Has that become more difficult now? So when, you know, somebody from AW goes to Brand X, what's the appetite, I suppose, for that these days? It's just changed a lot um, over the years. So as, as I've mentioned, you know, 20 years ago, a, a shoe brand or a, or a running shoe store might just take a, a page or two pages advert in the magazine, you know, just a traditional kind of bog standard advert, if you like. Uh, whereas now the, pretend, the, the advertisers or potential advertisers are looking to, to get, you know, maybe a bit more bang for the buck. They, they want stuff that's a bit more varied. Uh, so we now offer them packages. Uh, so they'll get, you know, stuff on our website, stuff in the magazine. Um, you know, we might put some social media out for them, you know, just a great variety of, of things, really. Advertorials and obviously advertisers, as you can imagine, are, are a lot more interested in, in uh, what you can offer from a digital point of view rather than just being in the print magazine. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I guess that, you know, that comes down to what they're their marketing aims are as well, I suppose, aren't they, on a global level, which is which is obviously trying to, as you say, trying to get the bang for their buck these days. Just finally on that as well, you know, in, I suppose, what I'd call the battle of the print versus pixels then, Jason, does that exist or is it like, you, like you've been talking about now, which is this kind of like this amalgamation and basically working them both together to the, to the best effect? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I've always had the had the view that AW or an athletics magazine would would always survive. It would probably just survive in a different format. So as as long as there's an appetite out there, that there's going to be hopefully a place for my magazine to to cater for it. Now, it might be in a few years' time that the print magazine vanishes entirely, and people are just reading it on on a tablet or phone or whatever kind of device people will use in the future. As, as we've learned in the last 20 years, it's very, very hard to predict predict these kind of things and, and actually what's going to happen. I think there'll be a place for a magazine, but I use the word magazine in inverted commas because that magazine might be, you know, a magazine on a, you know, being read on a tablet or a laptop. The good news is it sounds like you will be there or AW will be there. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with me, Matt Ward, and this week's guest, Athletics Weekly editor, Jason Henderson. Remember, we've also got a Patreon page, so if you want to help us along the way, we'd be really grateful of any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com. Reviews and ratings also help the podcast, so it would be amazing if you could give us a little review or a rating. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Just looking, I suppose, more generally at the sport of athletics as well now, Jason, you know, there's... um, it's been, there's been a little bit of, let's say, flux over the last couple of years, both in terms of the governing bodies um, and in terms of sponsorship and you know TV coverage, um, which I know you've covered quite a lot in, in the magazine. What are your thoughts on that? I think, again, we've, we've seen lots of changes in that regard. I think, I think we're both kind of similar ages. And when we grew up, athletics was on, was on BBC a lot. It was on ITV a bit. And, uh, and then as we kind of got a little bit older, so maybe, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, we started seeing channels like Eurosport showing quite a lot. And maybe 15 years ago, Eurosport had a lot, a lot, lot of athletics on it. And BBC carried on showing athletics. And then very more recently, I think Eurosport has, has dwindled and, and isn't showing as much athletics as it used to. It still shows a, a bit. I think mainly, uh, 
maybe some marathons and, and stuff like that. But it doesn't show as much as it used to. Uh, BBC is still showing athletics, but again, possibly not as much as it used to 20 or 30 years ago. But this, is, this has kind of been replaced by streaming. I mean, we just see so many events now being streamed. I mean, it's, it's almost unusual for me now to approach a weekend when there's a fairly big event on and for it not to either be televised or streamed, which, which is great. There's just more, more of this kind of sport that's out there that people, people can watch. I guess the good thing about it is you can watch it almost anywhere as well, as opposed to uh, having to be sat in your, uh, in your home. In terms of how the sport is, is managed as well, I've spoken to a couple of people on this podcast over the last few months about their thoughts on that. How do you see the sport in the UK, let's say? What direction is it going in? And are you, are you hopeful for the future? Um, yeah, as, as I'm talking to you, I mean, one big theme really is, is uh, that it's just a period of change, you know, period of change in the magazine industry, period of change when it comes to TV coverage and the streaming that I just mentioned. I guess there's change when it comes to the people that run the sports as well. Um, in, in Britain, we've got a we've got a new chief executive at, at UK Athletics, the governing body. You know, there have there have been quite a lot of changes. It's, it's obviously been a very strange year as well, with so many events being cancelled. Taking, for example, the national championships, the, the British Championships for athletics would usually take place in the in the middle of the summer. It would be a trial for the Olympics, and it would be you know a big event televised. But this year it was it was held quite late and belatedly in early early September with no no spectators at all, which kind of sums up what a what a strange year it's been. So I've got I've got some sympathy for the uh, the people people trying to run the sport because they're obviously grappling with with a very very strange athletics and running world that we we've got right now. I, I feel there's there's quite a lot quite a lot of um, optimism at the moment with sport getting back on its feet because the vaccine's being rolled out. But even in the last last few days, as I speak to you, I've been writing about the English National Cross Country Championship being cancelled in March, uh, the UK Inter-Counties Cross Country Championships being cancelled in February, um, the European Cross Country Championships was supposed to have taken place in Dublin, the World's Indoor Athletics Championships was supposed to be in China in March and the World Cross Country Championships in Australia in March. They, they've both been cancelled. And for the people that are trying to run the sport, it, it must just be a, just one big headache. They're in a bit of a no-win situation, aren't they? Because if they cancel everything, people are disappointed. If they put stuff on, there's an outcry because of social distancing and uh, restrictions and so on and so forth. It must be a heck of a, heck of a juggling effort. Just concentrate on you as well as, a, I suppose, a writer, journalist, um, and an editor as well, Jason. I'm going to say you're an esteemed writer outside of your work in AW. And one book which you wrote was Collision Course, a book on one of the Olympics. I'll call it a big moment in 1984 when Zola Budd, who in a set in, in her own right was, uh, you know, courted some controversy in certain areas of, you know, competing for GB from South Africa and the fact that she collided with Mary Decker, the queen of American athletics at the LA Games. I must admit, I haven't read the book, so I'm apologies ahead of that. But I do remember the incident well. That must have been fascinating to research and write. Yeah, it was good fun because you know I, I grew up in the 80s when it was just a great, a great period. I think if I could go back in time and and uh, sort of have a Groundhog Day um, like Bill Murray in the film and and sort of relive the same year over and over, it would probably be about 1984. I mean, we had. Uh, 
Sylvester Stallone in Rambo and Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator and Back to the Future and, and uh, you know, all these classic films from, from that 80s period and all the pop culture and pop music. And when it came to athletics, we, you know, we had Mary Decker and Zola Budd, but also Seb Coe and Steve Bovet and Steve Cram and Daley Thompson, Carl Lewis. The cyclists as well from that era, the Tour de France was a, was a classic period back in the 80s. And uh, when I was doing the research for the book, I, I had to dig out lots of old newspapers from that period to, to get the really in-depth stories uh, to find out what, what happened. Back then, the whole Zola Bud story in Britain was massive. I mean, it was the lead item on, uh, on the national news. Uh, it was on the front page of, of lots of newspapers, especially the Daily Mail, which, which uh, which uh, was credited with, with bringing her over to the to the UK to basically switch countries and start running for Britain. You know, just had a huge, hugely nostalgic uh, trip down memory lane, researching and writing the whole book. And and uh, yeah, it was good fun. I remember going down to Cumbran in South Wales to watch Zola Bud in the UK Championships and Crystal Palace in London and and various other places. So to to end up writing about the whole story. You know, thirty odd years later was uh, was enjoyable, but also, also, I guess, a little bit surreal as well. Seek it out, everyone. Uh, collision course: the Olympic tragedy of Mary Decker and Zola Bud. I suppose I wouldn't be doing my job, Jason, if I didn't ask you about one of the hottest debates in running and running shoe industry at the moment, and that of how shoe technology is, let's say, impacting the sport these days. Um, you penned a great article recently interviewing Lord Sebastian Coe, whereby you discussed shoes and how governing bodies tackle the issue i suppose what are your thoughts on the whole thing i think the uh, the shoe the whole shoe debates really divides opinion massively um i mean there's the, there are lot, lots of subjects in running that, that divide opinion but the the whole shoe debate really d- divides opinion you speak to lots of lots of runners especially the older ones the more old school guys and they just think that the shoes are ridiculous and they shouldn't be worn and and uh, people should just wear you know, quote unquote, normal shoes. And then there are lots of, I don't know whether this is fair to say, largely largely younger runners perhaps who think it's fair game and that the shoes are great and they're going to run, run faster in them and it's, it's going to give them a, a bit of an advantage and, and if they're out there and you can buy them, then, then let's do it. Um, but it really, really divides opinion, as, as I say. I mean, one thing I'd say is that, that technological advances have always happened in athletics over the years, if you look back at the old the old footage or the old photos of what what runners used to wear in the 1960s, they were literally like plimsolls, you know, just kind of plastic or rubber rubber plimsolls with with no great cushioning or anything. And you know, shoes have obviously advanced, you know, year on year and got be- got better and better since that period. I mean, the whole shoe debate as well, in some ways, is, is nothing new. There have been a few periods over the years where it's kind of exploded and, and uh, turned into a, a red-hot debate. Uh, I think back in, back in the late 1950s, there was a high jumper from Russia, uh, or the Soviet Union, as it, as it was known at the time, called Stepanov. And he wore a shoe, just one shoe, uh, which was heavily built up. Bit like these big heels that you get on the on the uh, carbon carbon fiber plated uh, running shoes these days. It was really built up, and it was built up to the to the extent that when he ran to the high jump bar, it it created a limp. He actually ran with a limp because the shoe was so built up. But here's the thing: he broke the world record. The world record stood, but the the World Athletics governing body at the time 
you know, reacted a little bit belatedly to it, a little bit like they are now with the with the with the shoes. And they then banned. They brought in new new rules where they banned shoes with heels that were that big. The point being that this this kind of thing has happened before, and I think the shoe companies will always kind of push, you know, try and get away with as much as they can get away with, and and it's up to the governing bodies really to to uh, you know to put in rules that are tight enough to um, to keep everything fair and on a on a level playing ground. So. That's probably my first point is that these technological advances have always happened. I mean, we see it in other areas as well, like, like sports nutrition. You know, you look at marathons from 60 years ago and, and halfway through the marathon, a runner would, would, uh, would reach, uh, um, like a bucket and, and put their head in the bucket and take a few sips of water using their hands as a cup. Whereas now, obviously, we have you know electrolyte drinks and and gels and, and all kinds of uh, you know better stuff. So te- technology's always moved along. Uh, I think the second point that I'd make it's it's got to be it's got to be fair for every every athlete. And I think one thing we we've seen in the last three or four years is that it's maybe not been too fair for all the athletes. Mm-hmm. I think athletes who are sponsored by yeah, one or two brands like like Nike and Adidas in particular have possibly had an advantage over athletes who are sponsored by some other brands, and those other athletes haven't had access to the same kind of same kind of shoes. Um, but I think this is becoming a bit more even now. I think other shoe brands are starting to bring out shoes that that are really competitive, and it's starting to even out a lot more. I mean, I, I don't get too irate about it i think that the technological advances are, are just kind of part of the sport and and i you know i'm not i'm not too uh, upset about them I, I just think it it needs to be fair for all the athletes i think all the athletes need to be able to get hold of, of the same you know shoes that are just as good rather than uh, it being a sport where there are some athletes who have have uh, super fast shoes and other athletes who who don't and also, you know, the mere mortal world as well, Jason, the fact that, you know, that somebody who, I don't know, might, might be improving their PB by a couple of minutes, I think it puts a step in your stride and makes you feel better about yourself and can, you know, at the end of the day, if you, I think if you're competing in at that side of the sport, let's say, which is the competitive end, if people can, can better themselves with a little bit of help, then, you know, so be it. I'll admit this now, and, and a lot of your listeners will probably think this is absolute sacrilege. But my, my, my 5K best from years ago is just outside 16 minutes. But these days, I struggle to break 20 minutes. I'm, I'm 51 years old. 20 minutes is a real barrier for me. It's still reasonable. Well, yeah, yeah. Some people think it's okay. But my point is that I've gone into park runs just before the pandemic struck, and I've worn a pair of these super fast shoes to try and break 20 minutes for, for 5K. Here's the thing. I didn't even manage to break 20 minutes for 5K. So... <laughs> So, so a mixture, a mixture of my my age and and lack of talent combined with uh, with the shoes, and we, we we still couldn't break twenty minutes for five k. But but yeah, there's there's probably a lot of ordinary runners like myself out there who who, as you say, do enjoy just putting the shoes on and gives them a bit of a bit of a spring in their step. And and um, you know, if you've got the choice between a pair of those shoes where you might run ten fifteen seconds quicker, or a pair of slower shoes, then I think it's only natural that you you're going to veer towards the quicker shoes. Having looked and assessed all of the stuff going on in the media over the last year or so, um, I think I tend to agree with you, Jason. And I think that in you know two, three, four years from now, 
people won't even be thinking about these things. They'll be they'll be the norm. And who knows what will be onto then? Even now, you know, you can imagine what's going on over in uh, in the headquarters of places like Nike, and they've they've, they've got the next thing coming, aren't they? So uh, so be it. That's the way it is. It's the same in cycling. It's the same in motorsport. It's all these technical technological advances are. Just part of it, I suppose. So um, as they say, you'll not please all the people all of the time. So uh, just to round off on your writing, Jason, what advice would you give to a budding journalist these days wanting to get into the sports and running journalism industry? Probably to be persistent. I think when I first tried to to get into uh, writing about athletics and running, I wrote to the the secretary of an organisation called the the British Athletics Writers Association and, and just kind of asked him how I could get into it and how I could become an athletics writer and so on and so forth. And, and at the time I was working for an, an adrenaline sports magazine. So I was writing about snowboarding and skateboarding and surfing and, and all, the, all those kind of crazy things, which is quite, quite, quite fun, but it wasn't really my, my, uh, cup of, cup of tea. I mean, I'm, I'm more of your kind of, uh, typical running geek, really, naturally. And he, the guy wrote back to me and, and said, you know, you should probably stay where you are. The the running world or the athletics world is, you know, you should carry on writing about your extreme sports. So as they say, I kind of thanked him, thanked him for his advice and ignored him and plowed on regardless and eventually got a job at, at Athletics Weekly magazine. And as you know, I've been there, I've been there more than 20 years now and, and uh, covered lots of events around, lots of events around the world. And you know, basically turned my hobby into a job, which which has been great. So for any budding budding sports writers out there, I would say that persistence is really uh, really a key. And then if you get turned down or rejected, or you you get kind of you know bad vibes from someone, for want of a better phrase, then then uh, just keep going and believe in in what you're doing. And I guess I guess in in this current age as well, just be just learn to be versatile. You know, you might want to be a writer, but it's not all about the writing these days. You, I mean, I've, I've always been a, a writer naturally through through the years, but I mean, more so these days, I'm I'm learning how to do video interviews and edit videos, and you know, find my way around social media and and all these kind of things, and uh, learn to get your your stories out there in in different different ways and means. Yeah, good advice. I suppose more generally as well, what are your thoughts on the running industry landscape these days, you know, in terms of races, media, brands, retailing? We've seen a lot of changes over the years, but what are your thoughts on it at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even during my 20-odd years at Athletics Weekly, there's, there's been lots of changes. I mean, we've seen the growth of, of women's, women's running. Um, I think when I was a youngster growing up in the 70s and the 80s, not, not that many women were seen out running. Um, it was a largely male-dominated sport. 1984 Olympics that we were talking about earlier on—that that was the, the the venue for the first ever women's marathon. And even then, on the track, they they only ran 1500 and 3000 meters for some reason. It, it was only in subsequent years that the 5k and the 10k on the track were added. You know, these these events were considered too tough for women at the time. I guess the growth of of of, of just women in the sport of running and athletics has uh, has just massively, massively grown. One of one of my favourite statistics is when Paula Radcliffe broke the world record for the marathon in two thousand and three with two hours fifteen. She was actually quicker than all the British men that year. She actually topped the British rankings, men and women. 
the super shoes that we've just been talking about, uh, the growth of Park Run. I mean, that's just been such a big thing in recent years, and and such a shame that it's not happened throughout throughout most of 2020. It's just uh, it's just ground to a halt due to the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, those those, uh, those are just some of the some of the big changes. Uh, there have probably been probably been plenty of others as well, but those are a few that that spring to mind. And what would you like to see, I suppose, from the first love? And obviously, with AW is track and field and athletics. What would you like to see kind of happening over the next few years? Is there a particular facet that you think needs to be developed or can be developed, or is it just more the same? Um, I guess I guess I would like to see a, a, a bit of a a bit of a return to people being a bit more competitive. When I was growing up, you you would have a, a typical runner on a on a Tuesday night would would go out onto a a track in the middle of the winter in in the in the drizzle and the wind and the rain and the ice or whatever and they'd crack out a really hard painful session because it was their goal to get the absolute most out of the potential and to run as fast as they could in their next races and there was a real competitive edge and of course there are still lots and lots of runners that still do that but i think the trend has gradually moved towards people just wanting to run you know, just to just to kind of keep fit and just to enjoy it and just for, for kind of fun and fitness. And of course, I'm massively generalizing here. There are plenty of athletes still today who, who want to run hard and want to run PBs. But I think we've just seen a, seen a big movement towards people who, who just want to, want, to, want to run to keep fit. And, you know, that, that's still fine to a, to a degree. You know, if people want to do that, that's fine. But I think I would just like to see a general shift uh, back to people being a little bit more competitive, you know, when, when people take up running and want to train, you know, just trying to get the most out of the potential. If people are going to have a go at running, they should really give it a crack and see what they can do, what, whatever age they are, and whatever whatever their talent levels are as well. Time's always against us on this, Jason, but I'd, I'd have loved to have chatted a bit more about that. But let's just move on to, we have some quick fires at the end of this podcast. Um, doesn't mean that you, you can't elaborate a little bit on your answers. Firstly, what do you see as your greatest industry achievement to date? I, I guess for uh, the editor of uh, an athletics magazine, survival. It doesn't sound very uh, very ambitious, but yeah, I mean, I'm quite proud of the fact that, that Athletics Weekly or AW Magazine is celebrating its diamond anniversary and has been going for 75 years. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that we can carry on for another 10, 20 years or more. You, you've got to be pleased when you're still here the following, you know, one year after the next, probably the thing that I'm most proud of off the top of my head. I mean, these are quick fire questions after all. <laughs> I'll use an, I'll, I'll put it in another term as well, maybe longevity. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the word longevity rounds up exactly how, you know, that has been, which is fantastic. Where do you see yourself in five years time as a, as a writer, as a journalist? Um, I, th- I think still hopefully writing about, uh, you know, a, a rather busier athletics calendar than the one we've had this year. Um, you know, athletics started as a, as a hobby for me. It was a hobby and a, and a passion when I was a youngster. And to be able to turn it into a job has, has been great. And if I'm still doing the, the same thing in, in five years' time, then, then I'll, be, I'll be more than happy. Uh, here, here. Let's hope you're still uh, banging out that fantastic copy. Uh, whether it's on pixels or whether it's on print, you know, as you say, we'll we'll see. It's still going to be there, which is great. And finally, tell us something about Jason Henderson that people wouldn't know. So, uh, one short thing people might not know about me is is on my social media, I'm called Jason AW, and people might think it's 
uh, AW for Athletics Weekly, but it's actually part of my name. My name is Jason Anthony William Henderson. So it kind of stands for the magazine, but it's, it's also, it's first and foremost, just, just part of my, my own natural name. So uh, It was written in the stars. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, I was I was destined to uh, to, uh, to, to to edit the magazine because it's uh, yeah it's literally embedded into my name. Well, that's something I definitely didn't know, and I'm sure most listeners wouldn't know as well. Let's hope that um, it's going to be Jason AW at obviously AW as well. Jason, I know you're a busy person, and I know you've probably got deadlines, no doubt, to be uh, to be hitting for for the magazine. Just remind us where people can find the magazine and yourself and uh, your social media uh well probably the main starting point would just be athleticsweekly.com that uh, that kind of leads leads everywhere really uh, or if you just search for athletics weekly on on twitter or instagram facebook you'll you'll find us quite easily well i'm really grateful jason i'm grateful for your time and your insight and as i say congratulations on everything you've done this year and keeping that household name in athletics going and um is for the next 75 years, I suppose, of AW. An excellent way to finish. Yeah, thanks very much. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the Running Industry Podcast. And once again, a massive thanks to this week's guest, Jason Henderson, the editor of the legendary magazine that is Athletics Weekly. We'd like to wish Jason and all of the team at Athletics Weekly the very best of luck in the future, and here's to another 75 years of AW. Thanks as ever for listening, and remember that reviews and ratings always help the Running Industry Podcast in gaining exposure. So it would be great if you could give us a rating and a review, and of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on social media via at Run Industry. A quick mention again that we'd be really grateful for any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com where you can catch all of the episodes of the show. Keep listening, keep spreading the word and we'll keep making the podcast. I'm Matt Ward and the Running Industry Podcast is an Amplify production. Thanks for listening and until the next time, Goodbye.